welcome to Four Guys in a Cop. Your hosts, Red, Rusty, Tap, and Nova. Everybody, welcome! It's Four Guys in a Comic Podcast. Here we are together again at last, another week. <laughs> Talking about comics and comic related stuff. And gentlemen, how you guys doing? I'm doing well. Great. Hanging in there. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, good. Well, gentlemen, we have. I figured tonight, let's talk about toys, man. We haven't talked about toys in a long time, and it's just something that just needs to be discussed. Because toys and comics, comics, toys. I mean, what comic collector doesn't collect some toys, really? True. That's true. That is true. What are some, I, I'm actually really? sitting around some toys as we speak. Okay, know, what are you sitting around? Well, what are you sitting around? What's I'm, around you? I guess I have more than I thought I did. Um, let's see. I got the, I still have the old 92, um, 10 inch XN action figures from, uh, I think it was Toy Biz that made them. I don't know. You can find them now in your local shop, still in box for less than 10 bucks. They're not worth anything, but I love them. There have, I have Bishop, Mr. Sinister, Sabretooth, Wolverine. I used to have more, but I don't know where they all went. And then I also have like the new, you know, twelve inch Titan series that they sell in the toy stores. So I got Spider Man and Thor. Mm-hmm. And then I got my uh killing joke Batman and Joker. Let's see, I got an alien from the movie Aliens, the one that spits acid. Um I got a shit ton of Ninja Trolls and Legos. I'm just Legos. Around, I'm just yes. looking around my man cave to see what all I got here. <laughs> um <laughs> I I have an Edward Scissor Hands. Um, Beetlejuice, like the old cartoon Beetlejuice. Oh, cool! Yeah, from like the early nineties. I have one of it. I have one of those. I hear they're remaking Beetlejuice. Actually, well, there's ta- supposed to be doing a sequel to Beetlejuice. I don't yeah. know if it's ever going to come to fruition. It's been in talks for years, so who knows what'll ever happen? But yeah, that would be awesome. I did. Uh, it would. Last I heard, Tim Burton and uh, Michael Keaton were both um, on board to do it. So. Hmm. That's all you need. Those, those are the only two you really need. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't need Gina Davis and, you know. No. Yeah, no. You can, Alec Baldwin, you can do something else with them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, Rusty, what do you got around you? What's some of your toys? Well, Rusty walked off, so I'm not real sure what he has. <laughs> he walked off. He's like, oh, I ain't talking up and he's got I toys. Think, Forget I think, it. He, I think he had to go urinate. I'm not real sure. Okay, so we'll see him in about another 20, 30 minutes. Oh, wait, um, we might actually see him in the next 30 seconds. Oh! He's com- he's coming back. He's playing with the broken door. All right. <laughs> Here he is. He's uh, putting on his headphones. There we go. There he is. Hey, Rusty, welcome to Four Guys in a Comic. This is Red speaking, and uh, we like to invite you to our show. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> We're talking toys. We've got to wonder, what toys do you have around you? Okay, so... Technically, I I collect toys, but I don't collect toys. Like, uh-huh. I don't know how to put this. It's not okay. sexual toys that you collect, is it? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> some sex criminal stuff, you know. When I was younger, I was one of those kids that would buy a toy, and if I determined that it was something too cool to open, I was gonna put it to the side. Even at the age of like nine, eight, seven. Oh, poppycock! Yeah, is weird as that is. I'm one of those uh, people that believe every toy needs to be out of the box, opened, and displayed. 
That's I do, right. I do not like keeping stuff. I have a couple things still in box, but that's just because I haven't opened them yet. It's not because like I think that it's gonna. Like I know they're worth more in box, blah blah blah. But I don't collect for the value. I collect because no, I like I, it. So I mean, that was exactly. I, oh, that, I got a toy. I opened it, even if I melted the toy in the oven or whatever. Yeah, was, with a magnifying glass. Yes. <laughs> Burning ants and your fucking action figures, and yeah. I mean, See, that I can was still thing, remember though. to this day taking my uh, original Star Wars Darth Vader and putting him on a balloon and letting him go. <laughs> <laughs> to, to this day, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yep. But R2-D2 was happy at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, okay, like I said with me, I have quite a few Star Wars toys that are still in the box. I have a, a, quite a few old toys that i i don't throw away anything my family never threw away anything they just boxed it up and put it in the attic so i have all the toys from when i was little i keep those and i don't play with them anymore they stay in the box but the thing is is i have a few things from when i was little that obviously are out of the box most of it's out of the box and that i used to you know we did all the things that every kids did when we pretended our action figures were real and we put them in real situations and fought them and everything else but nowadays whoa, 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 whoa. we got back up they, they are real we learned that from toy story they're real. exactly right small soldiers <laughs> toy story small soldiers uh, is great yeah, yeah exactly. but anyway that's... but the only thing that i still i get occasionally nowadays is funko pops and oh. I only own one or two, but both of them are in the box. I really, I don't, I don't see a point of me collecting toys anymore. I have too much of a fascination of collecting, you know, comic books and stuff that I don't really collect toys anymore. I still go to the toy store, the toy, oh, I still go to the toy section of Walmart, Target, and all those mm-hmm. places to look at what there is nowadays. I don't have any kids, so I don't bother to buy any toys like i said i don't really collect them for myself because i'm too obsessed with comics but i still appreciate most of the toys that come out but i have noticed that with modern toys i don't know what it is i don't feel like it's up to the quality of toy that was around when i was a younger kid like i go and i look for like a marvel toy now okay um, you have a million things that replicate the uh, movies and stuff. Yeah. And you have the that seem to be like a lower quality. And I'm not saying that's your only option because you still do have like these Marvel Legends and everything else that are of a higher quality. But I feel like the majority of the stuff that is out now doesn't live up to the standard that used to be within toys. Now, I can – okay. I got a lot to, I can add to that. So, where do I begin? Yes and no. Um, some of the standards of the toys are different. They, they, they just are from when we were kids. You know, I look at some of the stuff that's out there, and I'm like, wow, you know, that just doesn't look or feel like what I had when I was younger. But then again, I'll look at some of the stuff like, for a good example, the new Star Wars toys. And I look at that, it's like, oh my gosh. They're, you know, I've bought a few for my boys, and... They are pretty cool. They have, they do a lot of different stuff. They come all with different accessories, more than the you know the 1970s Star Wars toys that I got when I was a kid. And then I look at some of the other stuff. I was like, oh well, you know. And then I actually, I had a realization, you know, probably like a year ago. It's like, 
it was my childhood. Something about your childhood. It's just the, that golden age of innocence. Everything was cool and things were just different. There's that, you know, uh, rainbow glasses effect, I guess you could call it, where everything was just wonderful. But now that you're older and a little more and more wiser, things just aren't the same. And they really, they shouldn't be, but they are, you know. And I look at, you know, like I say, when I buy kids for my toys, it's like, wow, you know, this isn't like when I was a kid. Wow, though, when I was a kid, toys were just so much cooler. But then I look at some of the toys, like, well, actually, it has more um, pieces. It does more stuff. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But there's a, there's a double-sided sword on that. And I'm kind of trailing off a little bit. I don't know where I'm going. But it's just... Some of the toys, I don't know, are, are kind of cool, but they just don't have that same feeling from when I was a kid, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, they don't, you know? they don't, like, a lot of them don't even look like, like, there's certain brands that do a really good job of um, ca- capturing the character's essence and whatnot. But I remember, mm-hmm. like, those, uh, oh, I'm sure Rusty remembers these, those WWE, I think the, the Jax Pacific wrestlers. The Jacks, they were so oh, good. Oh, God, those ones, yeah. Which, they were so detailed, and they weren't correct. that expensive. And, and it then was just you like, had the ones, what was their, what was the other ones that were just downright horse shit? I mean, they were so horrible. They had Jax Pacific, and they had... There was another had, brand uh, that was, like, their competitor. They, they weren't hard plastic, like Jax Pacific. Mm-hmm. No, they were, yeah. like, Partially rubber and then partially plastic. And, like, um, I remember Jeff Hardy looking nothing like Jeff Hardy. No. Like, I remember just being so disappointed in these brands. Like, people don't put as much... Like, Kenner, for instance. Okay, when we grew up, we had Kenner. Mm-hmm. Kenner. Kenner. Yes, Kenner. Kenner, I don't even think's around anymore. Um, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think Kenner shut down years ago. So you're not getting the same type of quality toys. Because, I mean, you go back and you look at the old Star Wars and the whatnot. That's all Kenner. And that was some amazing, mm-hmm. amazing stuff. Very well detailed. Whereas the stuff we're getting now, it's hit or miss. Um, I remember when I was in high school, the McFarlane toys came out. And I collected uh, the Twisted World of Oz. Uh, me and my roommate at the time, we, we had all the Twisted Land of Oz's uh, from the McFarlane series. <laughs> And those were really well done. The spawn figures that he that he put out were really well done. But then you had uh I can't think of any of the toy brands anymore. Um, you know, toy brand A that comes out with something and it's just it looks nothing like it doesn't capture it, it just looks horrible, 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 horrible. Yeah. I think one of the worst ones were some of the hit or miss ones they did with X Men in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, dude. Like they ha- I remember there was a hard plastic juggernaut where it had a removable helmet and everything and it was fantastic. And then at the same time, you could go to this other toy brand that was making like Omega Red characters and it was like this looks like a um, recolored Hulk Hogan action figure mm-hmm. or something, you know what I Rusty, mean? Rusty, do you remember these? <laughs> Yeah, those the, are great. The, man. The, the, these are Toy Biz. These are the ones from the early nineties. Yeah. yeah, these ones you can still find. I was saying at the beginning, you can still find at comic shops in box for like seven bucks. They're super cheap, but God, are these awesome! And they're yeah. so well detailed and so well done. Like these are the ones I grew up, you know, playing with when I was like ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, uh, you weren't joking but, though with those McFarlane Spawn ones. Those were some like even at a young age. 
I still was like, okay, I realize that these are so nicely made, even at the age of like seven, six, that I, it's like, okay, even if you take these out of the box, you'd be extremely careful with them because they are nice. It's a work of you art. I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, McFarlane toys back in the 90s to even today, they hold the, the standards that you expect when you buy a toy. You know, McFarlane does a great job when it comes to the detail and all those simple little things. Like the recent release of, uh, what was it, uh, the Governor, uh, the, the Lego duplicate of whatever you want to call it. And you can put it together with the fish tanks in the back with the floating heads that lights up. And you, you look at that with the details and it's like, damn, that's pretty cool. But back in the day, Hasbro and Kenner, in my opinion, were the brands that stood out. Yes, you know, Hasbro and, 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 is another big one. Yeah, yeah, Hasbro. And, and to me, when it comes to action figures, Mattel. nothing. Yeah, Mattel. Thank you, Mattel. That's another one. But when I look back to you know from action figures from the past to the present, and all the sets and series, the only one that truly stands out in my head that was perfect in every way was the 1980s GI Joe set because oh, yeah. you got you got that figure. On that plastic, inside that plastic, on that cardboard, that cardboard had that beautiful art, but you flip that cardboard around, you had that um, classified file that you can cut out with the flag points. And for those of you listening, you know what I'm talking about. You had flag points that you can cut out and mail away to get free stuff, just pay for shipping, which was really cheap, like $1.95 back then. And you can get awesome, great toys for free. Yes, I remember those. I was going to say, for me, the masterpiece, the creme de la creme, were the old uh, Masters of the Universe toys. Same mm-hmm. type of thing. Had the nice bubble plastic. I don't remember who made them. It might have been Kenner. I don't recall. But I think it was Kenner. Actually. It had the nice uh, you know, bubble wrap, and then you had the, the hard cardboard backing. And then when you opened mm-hmm. it, it had the little mini comics mm-hmm. um, that each had a story about like whatever character that you were getting. And so, yeah, for me, it was all about uh, Masters of the Universe. Yeah. It was so, See, now, so well done. Yeah, and now you can still buy some of these Marvel things, uh, action figures, and they come with comics in it that are like second, third, fourth editions of uh, issues that have been up for the like last 20 years. And to me, the quality is really bad, in my opinion. To me, the... I look I look now, and when I go to Toys R Us, actually I was Toys R Us today, and when I look at some of the um, action figures that are on the shelf with my boys, I see, to me, the best quality that's in the market today, right now, is the new Star Wars. When you look at the detail that's put into the new Star Wars stuff, it's like, wow. Now, those are toys that are really, really well done. Mattel did He-Man. That's who it was. I'm sure there's, was people, it yeah, I'm sure there's people screaming Mattel. It was Mattel. <laughs> Mattel is actually the one that created um, He-Man. I should remember okay. that. You would think, but yeah, <gasps> they did the they did the amazing, amazing toy line. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I had some He-Man. I had the Grace, the Grayskull Castle, and all that kind of stuff. It was it was fun. It was fun to play. And you know what? I won't lie. You know, I have my seven and my nine year old boys. I get on the floor. It was just a couple days ago. I had my little Red Skull figure that I bought um, at uh, the store. I think it was like six or eight months ago or whatever. I was on the floor playing my red little Red Skull with against. Uh, you know, I think it was 
Star Wars and some Legos people. And just have fun. Get on the floor and play. When was the last time any of you listeners got on the floor and played? Have fun. Take your toys. Go play. Yeah, it's a good time. My kid's finally getting at age. He's not... Mm-hmm. He more, like, collects. Like, he doesn't play as much. So I guess we'll see. My daughter plays a lot. Her imagination's a lot... Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more out there compared to my son. He's sort of very literal yeah. and... He's like, look, these are my toys. I collect them. I put them out on display. I do not play mm-hmm. with them. Every once in a while, <laughs> you'll see him playing with them. For the most part, he doesn't play. He, he puts them out and displays everything, which I think is cool, too. I, I admire that, that he's, you know, eight years old and is displaying stuff rather than playing with it. But Yeah. So that's where I had a little bit of a problem with my daughter. You know, she would bring out her little pet shops and stuff like, okay, I'll play with you. Get on the floor. You start playing at the houses like, okay, well, here's my hot tub. And, okay, this pet shop's going in here. And that, well, that one's going to be making out with that one. They're going on a hot date. Papa, you can't do that. They're not dating. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <sighs> but uh, some of your favorite toys from the past. What are some of your favorite toys that you, you had or you still have or, or you wish you had again? Well, I don't have any of them anymore. I wish I did, but it was all the old Masters of the Universe. I had Snake uh, Mountain, Castle Grayskull. Like, I had, like, the play sets. I had, like, the uh-huh. slime that you would put in Snake Mountain, and it would ooze down on top of the characters. I had oh, all Oh, God, that. I forgot about that. Yes, I had all that. Battle Cat. Oh, I had it all. I wanted, uh... Yeah. I really, really wish that I still had, um, my He-Man. Actually, when I was, like, 19, I... That was back when the um, the new He-Man series came out, like in 02 or whatever it was. And I actually started collecting all of those action figures again, uh, just so I could get some sort of nostalgia value. Because at the time, you know, retro wasn't the th- cool thing. So you, know, you couldn't go to your comic book shop and find your old He-Man toys there like you can now. But one of these days, I will own more He-Man action figures. Oh, yes. <laughs> cool. That's cool. See, growing up for me, um, I played with a lot of X Men toys. I remember two that well, two X Men toys that really stood out to me was the Juggernaut one that I was talking about because Juggernaut was one of my favorite X Men characters when I was a kid. And then um, another X Men toy I had was a Beast toy that was hard plastic, and uh, it, it was sick. It remind it was Lee Beast, so. I was like, yes. But um, beyond X-Men, I had the uh, Spawn Alley playset that mm-hmm. I always played with. And I had a Spawn character and I had Violator with it and stuff when I was a kid. And I would always make them fight the X-Men. And uh, I also had a Black Suit Spider-Man and a Carnage character that I, I'd always make them fight. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was my, my pretend universe. And um, beyond that, though, I had a lot and i still have a lot Mm -hmm. of star wars characters and star wars toys um one of my favorites that i own and i mean i don't have all the pieces to it anymore just because i owned it for so long i played with it regularly when i was a kid was the giant uh atat walker Mm, yeah that opened up and you can put characters in it from the black series and stuff and they all fit perfect and such um, and I remember I had a Darth Vader toy, and I had a Luke Skywalker toy, and I'd always make um, Darth Vader sit in the AT-AT and shoot the little missiles at, at Luke Skywalker because I always wanted 
Darth Vader to win for some reason. That and then I would always set a uh, Boba Fett sitting on top of the walker and like riding it like a surfboard. Oh, that is cool. Yep. Yep. And those are those some of the ones that I remember the, the, the most. Like I said, I had a lot, a lot, a lot of um, imagination back then mm-hmm. with the uh, Spawn and X-Men toys. That's cool. Well, my recollection, you know, get out your Kleenex because this is a tearjerker. Um, <clears throat> I had a 1977 Shogun Godzilla. I love that toy. It was my pride and joy, my baby. It, I was asleep with this thing, okay? <laughs> I, I, it had a, a, a little lever back of its neck so its tongue would stick out and a little lever under its uh, arm to shoot its fist. This toy was my favorite toy, and I went everywhere with it. I treasured it. I treated it like it was gold, and to this day, I wish I still had it. And I, I'm telling you, I played with this to death. It would, I would take my Legos, I'd build something up. It would knock it down. I had my, my, you know, my 1970 Star Wars figures. It would kill them all off, from Luke Skywalker to Darth Vader. My Godzilla went everywhere with me. Destroy thing. Love this toy. But I had a problem at a young age of keeping my room clean. And my parents were always arguing with me, Michael, pick up your room, pick up your room, clean your room, clean your room. Well, one day, I just, my parents just had enough of it. And they said, all right, you know what? It's time for you to learn a valuable lesson. So, they, so back when I was younger, to get rid of your trash, we didn't have people that picked it up off the streets like we did today. We would have to drive to a dump site, and you would dump off your trash. Well, my mother got out a lawn chair for me, put it in the back of the pickup truck right on the, on the tailgate, and I sat down. And I watched her as she threw out my Godzilla as a punishment for me not cleaning my room as well as all the other trash. I will never forget that moment <laughs> back in 1978 when my God's, Shogun Godzilla went flying into a land heap. Today, I still would like to get get that toy, but to get it used on eBay is nothing less than 500 bucks, <laughs> which obviously I can't afford, yes. Yes, and I know if I if that never happened, I would still have that toy today because I loved it that much. So those of you listening, Shogun Godzilla, yes, I had one. I loved it. I still love it today. I still wish I had one. But that was that's the one toy that I ever ever in my life forget about because it was like my favorite toy. You know, sad man. Yes, like I said, get your Kleenex out. <laughs> it's like, but you know what? From that day forward. I, I started becoming OCD, and now everything's always perfectly clean. So obviously, a lesson was learned in all of that. But... I need to invite you over to my house. I need to house. do that to my kids. Okay, so Rusty, I'm going to take all your Silver Surfer issues, and they're going out. Hell no! <laughs> well, then you're going to learn to keep your room clean, son. Yes, and you're going to fix that door behind you too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need to go to the lows of the Home Depot and get the screws yeah. for it finally. But other than that, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I took a Darth Vader. It well, we came back from a the uh, state fair, started playing with my Star Wars toys. Took my 1977 Darth Vader, tied him to the end of a balloon, and he was battling R2D2 and C3PO. And they um, tied him up on the string of the balloon and let him go. <laughs> and I re- I can still to this day recall him flying through the sky and thinking how am i going to get that back 
<laughs> happens, man. Yes, it does happen. And I only... once um, had the idea where I was going to have a fight scene. I forgot what toy exactly it was, but I was like, all right, we're going to end this by putting him under the tire of my grandma's car and having him be run over. Yes. And um, I left him there all day just to wait and see my grandma run over him, mm-hmm. and she ran over him, and he broke, and I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. And I realized I would never get that toy back, so... Yep. As a similar thing, my third story that I was going to tell, kind of renaissance off of that, is I had a Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe that was with the, um, not the cow mask, but the hooded mask with the silver front on and all that. I actually got that through a trade, through, believe it or not, some 1977 Star Wars trading cards I traded um, back in the day. And I got that toy. I loved it. I had fun with it. One day, he was in a battle with uh, G.I. Joe. And he ended up in the wood burning of uh, wood wood burning stove, <laughs> and he melted oh, terribly. And I was like, and it was like you know the next day later, I was like, I'm gonna play with him again. I just had this big pile of pla- burnt charred plastic. I'm like, why did I do that? Yep, it happens uh, when you're a kid and you realize you made a dumb decision, and then you yeah. never do it again. So. Yep. Yep. Realize the uh, the importance of uh, taking care of something you like. So lessons to be learned. Treat your toys nicely. Yep. <laughs> don't run over them. Don't burn them. Don't put them up in balloons. Yep. <laughs> All right. So you know what? I think just talked enough about toys and the fun things about them. If anybody out there listening has any comments about toys, be sure to share them on our Facebook, our Twitter, whichever. You know, go to our social media. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. But other than that, I think it's time we give a ring-a-ding-ding to one of our interviews and give a call. What do you guys say? Hey. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Ring-a-ding-ding. Hey, Rusty. This is Red. How you doing? Hey. What are you wearing oh. tonight? Don't ask me that. Well, come on, buddy. What are you wearing? I'm what wearing you got on? Some clothes. A shirt. Yeah. What is it? What, what are you wearing? What kind of shirt are you wearing? It's four guys on a comic shirt. Ooh, I got one of them, too. What color do you got? Yellow. Ooh, I like yellow. Okay, oh hold on. <laughs> hold on. What, Taking man? this too far. What? I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my red. You're you red. Think? I'm wearing my red four guys in a comic shirt. I didn't even know they made a red one. Oh, yeah. You can get any color you want. You can order your four guys in a comic shirt in any color, any size, men's, women's, and they're pretty cheap. How much did you get yours for? I mine for like 20. 20. Ooh, that's what I got mine for. So all you listeners out there, if you want to look cool like us and sexy, get your four guys in a comic t-shirt for 20 bucks. Oh, yeah, baby. Welcome, everybody, to another interview for Four Guys in a Comic. And tonight, we have a very special guest for a very sad situation because Nova couldn't be with us. But we have Kari Andrews. Hey, Kari, how's it going? Pretty good. How's it going with you guys? Oh, outstanding. 
Yeah, it's actually been Excellent. a pretty good day so far. Hopefully it continues. <laughs> <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> it's solid. It's been, to me, it's been a long day, and I guess the night's going on now, but um, now this is exciting. This is something to do. I don't consider this work. So... No, this is the fun stuff, you know? This is yes. the fun stuff. Got to watch the Patriots win today. Now I get to do a podcast. It's a good day. Nice. <laughs> We're recording this the day, the day before Halloween. Right. Yes. yes. Exactly. My favorite holiday. Yes. Did you have a uh, costume planned out? Um. Well, we had a party to go to yesterday, and the host of the party uh, came down with some vomiting, diarrhea, virus, <laughs> super bugs. So we decided <laughs> to not go. <laughs> was, Good call. Good call. <laughs> I was going to be uh, classic He Man from, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows, He Man. Yes. Yeah. Love He Man. Maybe I don't know. We'll see if I can break them out tomorrow, but maybe might have to wait till next year. For me, it would have to you wait a the, couple years. Got the sword I got and everything. I got to get the physique. <laughs> <laughs> I had the sword. I had the hair. I had the the muscle suit. It was a uh, you know. I was ready. I was ready for action. But you know. oh, that's awesome! Cool. So now you're just kicking back in gray skull. <laughs> uh yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So. For people who do not know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown about what you do? Sure. Well, as you said, my name is Kari, uh, Ramza Thatari, Kari Kyle Andrews, and I um, write and draw comic books, and uh, in my other life, I write and direct uh, TV and film. So for comics, I've been working for Marvel since 1999, and... This year, uh, did my first creator-owned book, uh, Renato Jones, The 1% for Image Comics. And that's currently what I'm working on, and I'm also writing a new book for Marvel. And, yeah, some of the titles at Marvel I've worked on are Spider-Man Reign, uh, did a bunch of Hulk covers. Um, I did a 12-issue run on Iron Fist. Um, you know, uh, tons of covers. I do a little bit of everything. I write, pencil, ink, and color, if I can, my projects. So, you know. A potpourri. A potpourri. <laughs> Canadian potpourri. So among all this stuff, I want to know how a young you got into comic books. Well, I don't ever remember a time in my life where I wasn't reading comic books. I have been reading comic books before I could read words. So um, I have vivid memories of buying comics and not understanding what was going on, but, but entranced by the pictures and the, the visuals of comic books. And every time we went on a road trip, we'd read comics. And every time we went to Seven Eleven to get a, a treat, I would choose a comic book and not a chocolate bar. And, you know, it's just in my blood. Like, it's just yeah. what I do. Um, and when I was a kid, there wasn't really a difference for me between comic books and television and animation and toys. It was all just like one big thing that I loved and wanted to be a part of. And it wasn't until I was older that the world was like, these are different things and you can't do any of them. Maybe you can do one of them, but you can't do them. You, you know, and so it's like, it's like, I chose comic books first. So like, well, I'll show you world. And I, and I broke into comic books and that same year I broke into like the big two, as they say, uh, I moved to Vancouver and started uh, working on my film stuff. So, you know, just it's just been my life and it's still it continues to be my life so there wasn't really an entry point it's just been status quo the whole time very cool that's just cool 
I mean, you've worked on a lot of a big variety of stuff, really from A to Z, from A and X to all the way to Zombie Tales. <laughs> you've done quite a few things. Yeah. You know, out of all that stuff, what is some of the stuff that you've really enjoyed working on? Well, I would say my favorite projects are probably the ones that I both write and draw because <laughs> naturally, they're, yeah, they're just naturally more me. And um, so, Spider-Man Rain was a miniseries that came out a while ago. Um, I wrote and drew some other things, uh, some one shots and Spider Man manga, some AVX, A plus X. Uh, Iron Fist was a a big project for me. I had never written and drawn uh, such a long project before, and uh, uh, you know it's twelve issues, which isn't crazy, but you know when I was growing up, runs were like you know hundred issue runs of these classic guys, but but um. I didn't really realize until the end of it that no one in the history of Marvel Comics had ever written, penciled, inked, and colored a 12-issue run before, like in all of time. So it was interesting to to be able to like win that secret award that no one will ever know about. But, but, yeah. but you know, for myself, it was, a, it was a big landmark. It was, like, it was like, yeah, I can do that. And if I can do that, uh, well, maybe it's time I finally do a creator-run book. Because I'd always planned on doing – like when I was breaking into Marvel – I had always wanted to do creator own work, and it was um, my plans were to do a, a superhero book, probably a Marvel book, because I was more of a Marvel kid growing up, uh, or you know, or maybe Batman, <laughs> Marvel <laughs> kid plus Batman. Do either a superhero book, and then jump to a creator own book, and then jump back to a superhero book, and jump to a creator own mm-hmm. book. That was kind of my my game plan. Um, but what happened was I started pursuing my other passions, which were film and directing and. And instead of creator own books, I started doing film work. So I would jump back and forth between comic book projects and a film project. And there just came a point where I had done a couple movies. Um, I had done a little bit of television. You know, I just the one thing I hadn't done yet was to do a creator own book. So it really became imperative for me to, as an artist, just follow that path that I had not yet walked and and do the creator own book at, over at Image Comics. Mm-hmm. So I recently just started reading uh, Renato Jones. Do I think there's what five or six issues out right now? Is that right? Yeah, there's five issues in what I call the first season of Renato Jones. So the fifth issue mm-hmm. just came out, so that wraps up season yes. one. So I just started. Re- I've read the first couple issues. Um, I was a little behind, uh, but due to some listeners actually telling me that you have to read this book, especially one in particular uh, by the gentleman named Toe, he is a huge fan of yours. Um, all this man ever talks about is Renato Jones. Yes, that's, true. <laughs> that's all yeah, he talks all the about. Time. All Perfect. the time. He's a big fan of it. So I started reading, and I, I can't lie, I enjoyed it. I wasn't sure what to expect. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was about going into it. Um, I just know that he's constantly talking about how this book's amazing, everyone needs to go read it, it's a big F you to corporations, and I'm like, all right, I'll go read it, you know? And it's good. I, I enjoy it immensely. Um, I can't wait to actually finish the last three issues that are out. But he actually had a question in regards to it. Um, well, he had a well few. more than one. Yeah, he had a few. <laughs> we'll, we'll skip around. We'll skip around. Um, so his first question is: Is what was the motivation uh, behind breathing life into it? Is it toward a high-powered bastards in the comic medium and ultimately the entire world? Well, this is a complicated question. Um, I think. Picasso has a quote that says he doesn't know what he's going to draw until he draws it. And that's kind of how I like to approach creation. I think that there's a certain momentum and energy that you have 
on today that you don't have tomorrow and that you didn't have yesterday. So for me, it's never like, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? It's more like, when am I going to do next? And the minute I do something is the minute I decide what that's going to be. So I've been kind of like playing around with with wealth and social classes for a while. Like Iron Fist is a wealth-fueled superhero. And there's always this question of like if you have – in today's world, I mean, it's not the common street thug that is the real criminal. It's not like the, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, why are these superhero guys, these superhuman, superpowered guys hunting down like common street thugs? You know, when Batman was created, that was really kind of like a class war statement, really. That was like the middle class or the upper class declaring war on poor people. Like there was a poor person that killed a billionaire father and a billionaire mother and the poor billionaire boy had to have his billionaire training and take his billions of dollars and become this billionaire-fueled superhero to hunt down poor street criminals, you know? I mean, it elevated since then, but that really was the basis of it. And in those days, I think the world was a little simpler where poor people were (laughs) – they were the thugs and they were the crooks and they were the criminals – in today's world, when you look around, when you're like, man, if I had superpowers, well, who would my supervillains be? Well, it's either either going to be corporations or billionaires. Like, <laughs> that's where really the evil people are. Or maybe, like, you know, some dictatorships or something like that. But it really is just a fascinating world when you look at the super rich. Um, you know, and it's the one real world superpower where uh, you can hide. If you're evil, you can hide behind as, as wealth. And, uh, you know, I just, it just, it just started like, it just was interesting to me. And I just, I just started drawing and I filled up a notebook of ideas and sketches and concepts and just did whatever I wanted to do and chased it out and, you know, felt it out as I went. And it just, that it just turned into Renato Jones, the 1%. So he, he fights evil. He's, he's, what he is, he's, he's a guy who hides amongst the super rich to, um, judge the super rich for their super rich crimes. So he doesn't, he doesn't like hunt down rich people. He like, hunts down the evil that hides behind wealth. And, you know, it's just, like, been fun to draw. There's so many real-world parables out there. In issue five, he goes after kind of a tech company guru, self-declared genius, in the vein of, like, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jobs. (laughs) And all that that entails, you know? Like, there's just a lot. There's just so much to draw from. I could write and draw this character for years because it's just so... That world of super wealth and super bad evil things just goes so hand in hand. Um, I don't know if that answered the question. No, I think that answered it well. It was a pretty solid answer. Yeah, <laughs> it made me actually it's, it's rethink. Fun. I've never, I've never had a book that's been so like you know. I, I like throw in um, some uh, you know whatever I'm going through at the time. I throw it into the pages, whether I'm writing or drawing it. So there's always like callbacks to my life or my job or what anything it's just you know it's just but nothing is really specific it's just kind of like you know i have, I have friends that are musicians and they they write uh hit hit songs and the day they write that song about an ex-girlfriend or whatever or they're breaking up with someone they're writing it about one person but really every time they play it it's about something else could be about a different person it could be about a different state they're in so you know, you can never really be too autobiogra- autobiographical about these things or too referential to real world events. Even if I have a Donald Trump glyph in, in issue two, it's not really Donald Trump. It's like 
just a rich, you know, self-entitled douchebag. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of like bubbles in the same broth as a Donald Trump, but it's not, it's not a one-to-one parable. It's like, it's like a, it's like an archetype. Very cool. So another one he had was, and actually is in regards to your Spider-Man run. Um, I'm not real familiar. I don't really remember this because the Spider-Man run was almost ten years ago now. I think it was right. Does that sound right? Yeah, it was, it was seven, seven, maybe eight years ago, something. Seven, like eight that. years ago. Uh, it says that you had drawn a picture of Pete's junk. Um, it got past the editor and onto print and publishing, and then distributed. Did you happen to get in any kind of trouble for that? Was there a fine, or did you get a stern talking to? Well, when I was a kid. One of my favorite graphic novels of all time was uh, Frank Miller's, um, and I always fuck up the the title. Can I say that on this podcast? You're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, Electric Born, which is the the large hardcover, oversized European-ish version um, graphic novel, and uh, in full stark pen and ink, amazingly rendered by his girlfriend or wife at the time, uh, Lynn Varley. Uh, Frank Miller drew a Matt Murdock's uh, penis flopping around uh, while he's in, doing some super heroics. And it always, like, really affected me. I was probably only, like, I don't know, nine years old at the time. And it's the first time I really saw a penis drawn on a superhero. <laughs> and it was done, it was drawn in not, not in an erotic way, just in a, just in a casual. Hey, it's there. <laughs> yeah, it's there. It's like, you know, this is, this is art and art can be, you know, art can be, art can show a penis every now and then our, our, you know some of our most classic statues the statue of david uh you know mm-hmm. penises uh for some reason we've decided to shield poor children's eyes from flaccid penises uh, <laughs> for for a long time now um those prude americans <laughs> and uh when i was doing spider-man rain i just said to myself well i will draw what i want to draw and if there's a problem they will tell me and so you know i drew what i wanted to draw and uh an issue was flagged and and I modified some art and uh, there was an editorial mishap and the modified art was not printed. The original art was printed. <laughs> oh, so but that's I, no fault of your own. Then that's an editorial mishap. So, yes, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of both because I mean, as a freelancer, uh, quote unquote, but I, you know, that's, um, I ride deadlines hard. I, I believe that if I'm not taking every last second of a deadline, um, I'm not making the art as good as I can make it or I'm not making the writing as good as I can make it. And that's the danger of of comics is the longer you take on these things, generally the better they are. So you have amazing guys um, who take too long and they can't do consistent work, but their work is amazing. And then you have guys that just like slam it out, but it's too fast and it's not good enough. So you're always trying to like walk this line of like, I want to have art come out. I want to tell stories, but I, I need to make those deadlines, but I need to make every minute of the deadlines count. So I always ride deadlines hard and it's, and I, and I always feel bad about it, but it's always for the better of the art. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, it was probably up against a deadline and it was probably like the book was probably getting rushed to the printers and who knows, who knows what happened, but, <laughs> it, but at least all, in the end, you got your original art in there that you wanted. Well, it wasn't even like I want. I want, need to get this in here. It was just like you know, I'll draw what I want to draw, and if there's an mm-hmm. issue, someone will tell me. So you know, yep. as always, I approach art, but like a like life, really. You know, you ask for forgiveness, not permission. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's see. One of the other questions that he asks is, is there reasoning that uh, – let's see. Where, where did that – I lost the question all of a sudden. Um, the addition of Pete's old man balls was is just thumbing his nose at censorship. Again, it wasn't um, like yeah. some like, you know, it was just me um, embracing an adult book yeah. with adult characters and adult stories. You know, I get a lot of um, really uh, big reactions to, especially when I write and draw, like big, big swings either way. I have people that love what I do and I have people that hate what I do. And I think part of the reason is I have no problem putting in uh, adult situations into my superhero books or like, you know, sexual super situations. <laughs> um, and I think it really, for a certain reader, it can make them recoil like, oh my God, what? Sp- Spider-Man has a penis? What? This is a kid's book. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I'm still a kid inside. I can't, you know, I can't, what? Oh no. Yeah. Mary Jane's dead. And no, you know, it's just like, I get a lot of big reactions either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay because as much as you know, as often as I get someone who's just like uh, shocked that that there's an adult situation in a book, that I get just as many people or, or not more who who love it. So it's like you know, I always think art is art creates big reactions, and the bigger the reaction, probably the more interesting the art. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, is there any chance? Because being part film as well, um, actually, <laughs> Rusty is a big fan of the movie ABCs of Death. And uh, he, he wanted me to watch it a while back, and I got through... I'm a big horror fan as well, but I only got through, like, I think D or E. And uh, he goes, no, you have to... He goes, we're interviewing Carr. You have to go watch his. It's V. So I said, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll go watch it. He goes, he goes, you just got to finish watching the whole movie. He's like, some are good, some not. But he's like... So I, I went back, and I we me and him both uh, watched your six-minute uh, short film for... Uh, is it V is for va- va- Vagis? Vagitus, and uh i gotta say i liked yours a lot that was that one was fun uh rusty saw my reaction i think when i saw it and i was like oh my god he bit the head off a baby (laughs) (laughs) i think rusty saw saw my face when when that came up but uh uh no that was good though so how did you get your start and something like that you know uh becoming a part of that and well, so when I moved to, uh, when I started working at Marvel in 99, I moved to Vancouver up in Canada, which is one of the kind of the two main hubs of entertainment making up here in Canada. Especially for CW. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of supernatural shows and superhero shows are shot here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just started writing scripts and ended up getting an agent, doing shorts. And that all led to me going to get, I was invited to um, the Canadian Film Center, which is kind of like. Canada's version of AFI. It's like not a school; it's a residency, and it's like you know they choose like eight, eight young directors a year and send them through this kind of like rigorous five month every day kind of like super training program. And I was weirdly enough, I was going to that while I was drawing Spider Man Rain. So I was take I was going to like film film residency all day at school every day, and with my other director friends who were like, "Oh, the workload's so crazy." We're all like breaking up with our girlfriends and going crazy. And then I would go home at night and just draw for like hours and hours and then get up and then go to film, film uh, this film place and then go home and draw. And it was just, like really grueling for like a long time. 
But going through that, and you know, I connected with some peers, ended up making a, a movie with them called Altitude, which is my first feature film. And after Altitude, I then um, got involved with the ABCs of Death guys, and that was an interesting situation because it was a really cool concept and really fun, but there was just like no money. Like everyone got five thousand dollars cash mm-hmm. to go soup to nuts make a make a film, which is like sounds like no, that's pretty cool, but it actually in reality. Like no, it's like no, it's like no money. It's like no money. Like the only thing we could buy with, with that money was basically food, uh, gas for the generators, and some security. So you know, anyone who worked in that film kind of did so for the experience and for taking part in something creative and fun and exciting. And uh, and I just tried to make the make the most of it. Like just you know, make some art. You know, yeah. swing hard, make some art. <laughs> Well, speaking of films, um, are we going to be maybe seeing in the future uh, Renata Jones on, on the screen, maybe like Netflix or something like that? Who knows? I mean, maybe. I mean, there's nothing really worse, I find, than comic books that are just fake movie pitches or fake TV pitches, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I read a new comic book series and I'm like, oh, this was written to get some money to make something else. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit, you know? Like, as someone who does both, like, those are two separate art forms. And the one discouraging thing about comics is, maybe this is why I like it so much, but too, because it's, it's, it's full of um, readers and creators. Everyone in comic books, I find, uh, you know, as a little, we're outliers. You know, we sit outside the spectrum, I think, of norm, you know, and that's good. That's cool. That's great. That's what makes it unique. But what that does is it can it can create a complex. It can create a situation where you are always looking for validation from other sources. So for comic dumb, nerd dumb, um, now that Marvel movies are like the biggest thing in the world and everyone's watching Marvel movies, like <laughs> it's like, see, I told you, comic books were amazing. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? Comic books were amazing before then. Comic books yeah. were amazing in the 80s. They're amazing in the 70s. They're amazing in the 60s. They're amazing even in the 90s, uh, some of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, as long as they say life fill on the bottom it took, it took someone else making a movie of the thing you love to finally say see I told you you know and, and, and it's not just fandom it's like creators too like the worst thing in the world is when there's a movie or a TV show adaptation of a comic book and it does well and people are like see see that was a great comic book because that movie is a great movie or that TV show is a great TV show. See, that was a great comic book. And it's like, fuck you. That was a great comic book before that happened. And that movie or TV show has nothing to do with that comic book. Nothing. And you as a creator were a great creator before someone else took your idea and made it for themselves in a different medium that you really didn't have anything to do with. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's a strange, it's a strange thing. So when I make a comic book, it's like, I don't, I'm not trying to make a movie and I'm not trying to make a TV show. I'm trying to make a great comic book. And I love comic book language, the language that only comic books can do and use that vocabulary of art and pictures that only comic books can do. I love that stuff. I'm not against adaptations. If there's a great movie, I love the walking dead. I love the, I love the Marvel movies. I love all that stuff. I love it. It's great. When it's great, it's great, but it's not, it doesn't make the other thing great. They're not reliable. They're not relying on each other, on each other's greatness. You know, Walking Dead is a great TV show. Walking the Complex is a great comic book. They're different. The Marvel movies are great. The Marvel comics are great. They're different, and it's okay that they're different. You know, you know, like uh, yeah. that's how I feel about it. So, who, who knows? I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> See, I, I was going to say, I totally agree with you on that. Because, but it's kind of in a, in a reverse situation for me. A certain Marvel cosmic group that got really big because of a movie. Um, before the movie, for Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy like, as a series, everything else. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was appealing and everything else. Movie came out, and then they kind of changed the group to fit the movie. And that's when it kind of turned me off. And now I don't really want to read Guardians of the Galaxy anymore. It's just like yeah, that ha- that's the that's the bad part of when the uh, the other media gets bigger than the the origin media. Yep. So of course mm-hmm. it's like the '60s Batman stuff. That '60s Batman show is cool and fun, and I watched it as a yeah. kid and loved it. But at the time, it really jacked up that Batman comic book. You know, that Batman comic book skewed a whole different way because that TV show is skewed yep. a whole different way. So that is the danger of it. The cool thing, I think, with Marvel generally, and I'm not talking about Guardians of the Galaxy specifically, but generally, I don't think it really happens that much. Like, there really is... I think part of it is having Marvel publishing on the East Coast and Marvel film and TV on the West Coast. Like, it really is separate. And so, when I was... For instance, when I was tasked with doing Iron Fist, um, I knew nothing about the Netflix deal. I wasn't told anything I had to do. I wasn't... There was no um, agenda to, to try to reach a certain demographic or, or, or fit a certain like window of like the kind of things that, that producers tell me with, with movies, we're looking for this kind of a movie with this kind of a person and no female lead and this kind of that. It's just like, you, you know, we want log lines. And this is, it's like, you know, there was none of that. It's just it's like Axel being like, we want to do the best, you know, and bring our fist back and do a cool story. And, uh, and you know, what's cool and then me giving him a paragraph and then he running up the chain and, and me doing it, you know, like there really is, I think, Generally, at Marvel, there really is a good distance between. Usually, I mean, not always, but usually, is a good distance between the source material and the and the movies. Yeah. Well, usually. speaking of Marvel and movies, we got to talk about that cover art that's sitting behind you right now. All right, I'm looking at Darth Vader. We're oh, talking yeah. <laughs> about issues uh, 16, 17, and 18. I only see 17 and 18 behind you. Love that cover. I own all of those. Oh, by the way, I love the cover art that you did for it. Are we going to be seeing some more anytime soon? Uh, I would love to. I'm. Uh, I kind of um, am very busy with Renato Jones. You know, I'm mm-hmm. again writing, penciling, inking, coloring these these books. They're oversized books, and so it's just a lot of work. But I am writing um, Iron Fists with an S right now for Marvel. <laughs> That'll come mm-hmm. out kind of around the Netflix show. Uh, I, may, I may or may not have seen. Uh, you know, a lot of art already for, for that book. <laughs> uh, but I, I also think, like, you know, here's the weird thing about me in comics is I love um, just all the different aspects of it. So when I do a cover, I really love spending the time and spending a week on one image and just being like, hey, what is the cool way to do this? And, and these Darth Vader covers behind me, it was like, well, I want to, like, I want to pay tribute to Drew Struzan. And so it's like, I'm not going to do them on the computer. I'm going to do them on board I'm going to buy myself an airbrush, which I've never used before. I'm going to buy myself some Prismacolor mark, uh, pencil crayons. I'm going to, like, do it old school and create an old school poster style cover and, like, really embrace that technique and, like, learn it and, you know, kind of, like, pay homage to those covers and that part of my childhood. It was really fun. But every cover is different. You know, um, I've done oil paintings or watercolor paintings or collages or, 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 or lots of computer art or pencils. So... Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I'm writing a story, I really want to write the best story. And when I'm penciling, I want to pencil the best. You know, it's just the, it's, the cool thing with comics is, you know, you can do all those different things yourself. And there's very few avenues of entertainment where that's possible, you know. 
like in in movies you can't make a movie all by yourself you can't one man can't write direct act compose edit you know do visual you can do you can do as much as you can and i've taught myself to do a lot of those things and um you know but you can't own it the same way you can own a comic book like you can truly own every aspect of a comic book if you if you if you want to and that's what's so cool about it very cool the thing that I will say after speaking with you tonight is you are an interesting per you are like a purist. Um I've never I don't think I've ever really spoken to someone that's so pure in their craft and their you know and whatnot as much as you are in the way that you're discussing it. It's almost making me rethink some of, some of my choices. I was like, this is I've enjoyed speaking with you. This has been uh this has been a lot of fun. Uh, rethink some of your choices, like your life choices. Well, like for instance, like, not, not not quite like that. I meant like more like when you're talking about Batman. I was like, I've never thought about Batman in that way before. Like now I'm over here rethinking. Like, do am I a Batman fan? Like, I mean, I still a Batman fan, but I'm just saying, like, it was just like those things where I'm like, you're making me think about things differently than I. I don't know. It's just interesting. Well, I love Batman, and I I have a Batman uh, a couple Batman stories in me. One in particular that at some point. I would love to, I'd love to do, but there are, you know, you have to think of these things like when this character was created, what was the situation of the, of what were the climate? And, um, especially, I think it's because Renato Jones is kind of a, um, little Batman esque. Like he is a rich guy who has a Butler and he fights crime. You know, mm-hmm. it's like kind of Batman esque. So it, it, I did think a lot about Batman while I was drawing and writing those stories, just not on purpose, but just because it's a similar you know, it's a parallel. It's a parallel world, um, but yeah, underneath some of those heroes of, in their origins, there's a, you know you can there's a there's a lot of interesting thoughts when you think about them. Like the creator of Wonder Woman, for instance. I don't know if you know about that guy. He lived with his wife and another woman together, um, all in a happy family. He invented a, one of the first lie detectors, working lie detectors. And his girlfriend at the time had these bracelets. Um, and that character was very sexual in her time, always tying people up. I had to have her little lasso of truth with these big bracelets that, you know, deflected bullets. And it's like when that character was created, it was a very, like, uh, progressive, um, sexual guy in situation, uh, kind of expressing those his life situation in a comic book character that has come to represent, I think, something different now. Like, you don't look at Wonder Woman now and think, like, bondage. Uh, um, oh, I do. Well, maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. Not, 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 not the UN version, you know. The, yeah. You know, she's become this, she's become this like, embodiment of, like, uh, of, like uh, fe- f- feminism and female, uh, female yeah. empowerment. And perhaps it was at the time um, empowering to kind of live in this unique situation with this threesome, basically. It's uh, this uh, marriage of three people, really. Uh, I don't know. But it's interesting. You know, when you look at that stuff, it's, I, always, I find it very interesting. Yeah, so. yeah. No, and what I was just meeting earlier by, like, you know, Pierce and your form stuff, like, not many people would have gone out and said, hey, I'm doing these Star Wars covers. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy the tools that would have been used in the 70s. Things like that. Yeah. Like, only a purist, somebody that like wants to stay true to their art, would do something like that, and that's kind of what I was getting at when I was when I was saying, right. you know. So, well, but... here's the thing: is like I was actually one of the very first um, Marvel 
cover artist to ever draw on the computer because at the time I was a young, I just came out of art school. I was broke. I had a computer. I had a Wacom. And I wanted to, the art I loved looking at in Spectrum books or whatever was oil, oil paintings. And they didn't have money to buy oil paints. And I wanted to do some of that stuff. And Wacom came bundled with Painter Classic. And I just kind of like started experimenting with painting on the computer. And, um, you know, I was, I was pursuing and, and doing so in a classic oil, oil methodology where I was like, doing kind of an ala prima like approach like laying down the colors and in like one you know right there not glazing but like just boom brush stroke to brush stroke and uh it turned into whatever for whatever reason me being one of the first digital painters at marvel now everyone's painting digitally and i always like i always like to zig when the herd is zagging a little bit right we're comic books we're outliers right we just we rebel against the herd sometimes and so, the, you so sometimes right you have to what made that what made it more fun to do the star wars covers old school was knowing that everyone's painting digitally now mm-hmm. and people are forgetting these classic tools these classic techniques and then seeing uh, a project where i can just like get there you know like there's a you know, now there's a reason to buy an airbrush you know, I, I haven't used an airbrush since I was like 13 and tried to paint, paint in a tank and like wrecked my very first airbrush on like the first thing I painted on it. You know, so it's like it's like a fun, fun way to like uh, investigate how someone would have created something, reverse engineer it, buy those exact materials, do that exact thing, but then make up my own, which I think is like every, for me, the fun part of every part of comics and film is like. When I, you know, when I love something, I want to like know it, you know, and then I want to do it, and then I want to like say, I did it. <laughs> you know, I don't know, you know, that's part of the fun of creating for me. And you can tell, you know, you put some really great work into those covers. Um, particularly my favorite out of those three would be number seventeen, issue seventeen. Um, it just, it, it's very much a movie poster. You know, it's something you, you could see have it hanging in your house. It's beautifully done, and, and it's, it's just very. Just, which one? Which one was seventeen? I've, I've uh, lost. It's the one one behind you with uh, the adats. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the first one I did actually, I um, I didn't have the time to do it correctly. The first one I did. Just the Darth Vader on the cover, right? Just the helmet. Yeah. Um, I was investigating a new approach where I was ingesting. I was kind of. I was kind of half-assing it. I was I drew I drew it in pencil, kind of old school, and then I scanned it in, and then colored it on the computer, and then output it onto onto um, inkjet canvas, and then I was going back into the inkjet canvas with oil paints, so real media to digital back to real media, and it was like something I was very interested in, like oh like oh how can I combine these things in a new way that people aren't doing. Um, but after that one, I was, I was, I was like, oh no, I want to go back. Like I want to go back, back. Like that was just a baby step. I was, st- I'm still relying on this like tool of this computer in front of me. These, these. Uh... Yeah, but with 16, you know, that issue obviously what you did with that cover worked because it sold so many copies that went into a second printing. Yeah, well, I would hope it helped. I mean, you know, I don't. Know. <laughs> no, obviously, no, obviously, it did. It really did. Come on, because you got to admit. I hope it helped. The cool thing with being a, a comic cover artist, and I kind of like. Um, I've done a lot of them. And the fun thing about them is you only have one job. And that job is not 
to draw something beautiful. It's not to tell a story. It's not to um, summarize the issue. It's not to the only job you have as a, as a comic book cover artist when you do that is to get someone to pick that issue up off the stands and then and then whatever happens happens but that's your job like if you if you draw something that's why i like to zag a lot when people are zigging um or zig when they're zagging is because when you're on a rack of all those covers that that see of the same and sameness you want to be the outlier you want to be the pink amongst the blue or you want to be the the hand painted amongst the digital painted, you know, like you want, and I just have, I've always have this urge to just like be a little different and it serves me well in some, some areas like drawing comic book covers. Yeah. But it's fun too. It's fun to like, you know, I mean, I drew them, that's kind of like half the size, like it's Drew Susan would draw them twice up, but for time I drew them half the size and, you know, but it was fun to like wear that hat for a while, learn those techniques and, you know, keep them in my toolbox for some other time. Cool. Great. So you've done oodles and boodles of stuff. We've said that over and over on this. Is there a character that you have not yet worked on that you wish you could? Batman. So Batman. Besides Batman. Let's <laughs> Batman, go, let's Batman, go Batman, besides Batman. Batman. You said Batman <laughs> besides Batman. Um, no. I mean, uh, no? <laughs> I, I have a very... Uh, I, I feel myself uh, being drawn back to Spider-Man in a way that I haven't in a while because he was always my favorite growing up. And when I first broke into Marvel, he was one of the first characters I worked with. He was my first – the first thing I wrote was a Spider-Man one-shot. And – well, two of them. One was a Spider-Man for Spider-Man Tangled Web. I wrote a short story. And one was a manga Spider-Man for the manga event back in the day. And then my first miniseries that I wrote and drew was a Spider-Man miniseries. And, you know, some of the first covers I painted were Spider-Man covers. So I went through my Spider-Man – my Spider-Man thing, uh, but he's always been such a close, um, a character close to my heart, and uh, I do find an urge to revisit him at some point. So, I would like that to happen at some point. I mean, and, you know, I haven't really uh, shared my feelings with anyone really in, in on Marvel, but uh, you know, maybe at some point, maybe maybe when Renato Jones wraps up, um, there's maybe some other stuff I have agreed to do. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how things how things go. I mean, beyond. Beyond Batman, uh, I enjoy so many of the superheroes at Marvel and DC, really, that it would be a pleasure to work on any of them at this point. But it's, you know, I also have an urge to do more creator-owned work. I just, um, right now in Dark Horse Presents, I'm writing a, a character for my buddy Troy Nixie, and it's called The Black Sinister. And it is also a wealth fueled superhero. You may you may sense a theme. I call it my wealth, my uh, wealth triptych, my uh, uh, triptych of wealth, my wealth trilogy. Um, Iron Fist, which is a kung fu billionaire. Uh, Renato Jones, a guy who hides amongst the super rich, hunting down super rich, and then Black Sinister, who is a deranged billionaire who is protecting a city that needs no protecting. Uh, almost even a supervillain, if you will, uh, in reality. But in his mind, he is, like, doing what needs to be done. So, uh, you know, I, I want to create more original characters and stories and, like, I've just, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make stuff. Very cool. Do you have any, like, conventions or anything that you're going to be at coming up soon? Not really. I mean, I kind of got conventioned out when I did. I had taken a break from conventions 
for a while. Right. You know, I live in Canada, so they're always like, it's a bit of a, it's a flight, and it's like, you know, hotels, and they're fun. Like, I love meeting fans, and I love, 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 love drawing for people in person. Like, it's just so fun. It's fun drawing. It's not, the stakes are low. You don't do thumbnails. You just make art in person with for someone, and everyone's so appreciative. It's like a really very cool experience. But it's just tiring, and, and every time you get back from a convention, you're sick, and it's like, you know, and then you're out of commission for a couple of days, or you're trying to draw through some cold, and it's horrible. And I kind of have a young family now, and it's harder and harder to get away. And But for Iron Fist, I thought, I'm going to really do this. Like, I'm going to try to help the book and do shows, and um, and I did. I did. For me, I did, you know, I did eight shows in one year, which was, for me, it was like a lot of shows, ton of shows. <laughs> I know some guys do, like, 50 a year, but for me, eight was a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of got burnt out. I did a couple more. I did a couple this year, and I just kind of was like, man, I need a break. Like, I need a – just it's such a time suck and being away from the family. So I'm supposed to be going down to uh, Emerald City, I believe, in spring. But that's about it, really. And maybe once I rest up and, like, you know, eat my vitamins and head to the gym, then maybe I'll be able to, like, find the courage and the strength to go to shows again. But for now uh, – I'm taking a bit of a hi- hiatus from that that life. That's cool. Now you mentioned you enjoy uh, drawing stuff for fans. Do you do commissions? I don't do commissions. Okay. Because I'm horrible at anything that I mail out, and I'm just too busy doing normal work. Mm-hmm. So, let me tell you how I feel about commissions. There are two things about commissions. One is, as an art fan and art collector myself, I love commissions. Right? Like I love the idea of like. I can just get my favorite artist to draw me something for myself of my very own. Amazing, right? Amazing. As an artist who works in the industry, I just find commissions to be like the worst thing in the world because my favorite artists have stopped drawing comic books because they're too busy drawing commissions. And these commissions are for one person and maybe they'll post them on comic art fans and like a thousand people will see them. But if they just did the work, if they just did another issue of actual work and it was printed, well, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 for all time, who knows how many millions of people might be exposed to that one drawing that otherwise will just sit in some guy's some behind his glass on his wall and no one will, no one will ever know like like i meet so many guys who are artists and like well i want to write too it's like well then fucking write something put those commissions down stop daily sketching stop doing your daily sketches stop doing your commissions stop doing your facebook uh, tutorials or whatever you're doing mm-hmm. and just like you <laughs> know a draw- lot of those lately well, it's, it's hard. You you live in isolation when you're an artist and so any reaction on social media is like oh i've talk to people today and oh people like my art people like me and like it makes me feel good now i can draw that page but man just don't don't do it it's a false it's it's a false path like do we draw your page for your creator own book now you're worried about writing who cares it might suck who cares maybe maybe my stuff probably sucks i don't know doesn't matter like what's art art does not one guy, look at any of your favorite any of your favorite writers or artists, type them into Google and see how many people fucking hate them. And these are your favorites. Type in anyone, anyone, whether it's like Brian Michael Bendis or Gustav Klimt. Anyone. Put them in the Google and see how many people fucking hate that guy. So it doesn't matter. Like, uh, release that from your shoulders. 
Like, it doesn't matter. Just make something. Write it. Make it. Is it good? Is it bad? It doesn't matter because it's art. You're just sharing yourself. And if who wouldn't want to meet you? You know, like put you on a page. Do it 20 times and that's a book. Do that five times. That's a graphic novel. Do that three times. That's like a series of graphic novels that can now be bought and sold for all time. And when you're fucking dead and someone wants to find you and type you in the Google, they're not going to come up like, oh, Johnny J555 hates that guy. They're going to be like, oh, here's an Amazon link. I'm going to buy it. Oh, my God. My mind is blown because I've just discovered Alex Toth. You know, like, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) Very passionate. Very passionate. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> if we had video recording on this man that would have been gold <laughs> yeah, right I know. There. Yeah. I'm, I'm very i'm very expensive i often have to like uh contain myself a little bit because i'm a bit spazzy you know outliers conflict fans where it can be a little spazzy my wife uh, constantly says i can see why sometimes you may scare people sometimes because you get a little too excited about things and it's like yeah well you know being about it's just about being passionate what you love yeah man don't yeah. say sorry Exactly. <laughs> I want to ask permission. Ask forgiveness. I wouldn't even ask forgiveness. Just be like, <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> Oops. So, is there anything that you're currently reading right now? Like, what do you, uh, what do you have in your short box if you even have time to read? Oh well, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not reading a lot of comics right now, to be honest, because I'm just so busy. Yeah, you sound, you sound pretty busy. <laughs> well, here's the, here's, the, here's the hard part. is like I'm at the stage of my life where I have got like three little kids, a wife, and um, it's hard for me to like watch movies. It's hard to even watch TV shows. It's hard to read books. Uh, it's just hard, man. Life is hard, and like, and and kids will fucking destroy you. Yep. You know, like uh, yep. I love them. God. <laughs> what? Huh? Like I hear you. What? I, I got a seven, nine, and eleven year old, and I hear you. What you're saying? You just don't yeah. find time to do any of that stuff. I know. So, so for instance, last night while I was sitting outside of my five year old's room, who wouldn't let me leave beyond the door because he was scared to sleep, I was reading uh, Black Science by Rick Remender mm-hmm. and really enjoying it. That's been on my comicsology uh, to read file for a while. So, you know, and then I was reading. Um, oh, I was reading. Uh, uh, Scott Snyder and Sean uh, Murphy's uh, Wake mm-hmm. um, last week. Uh, really enjoying that. So you know, I'm trying to find. I, try, I find my I find my moments, but I find I'm less like I was really the the every Wednesday guy for so for decades. And these days, I'm less the every Wednesday guy and more like, uh, hey, what 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 do I have time to try to catch up on now, guy? That's yeah. more my style. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know there's, so the much, there's so much good stuff. There's so much good stuff. It's like it's hard. It yeah. is. Um, since you are a Batman fan, I do have to ask: Have you read any of the Tom King Batman Rebirth? No, no. Is it good? I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, Red, kind of it. We finally got Red to read some. He is like, ah, eh, whatever. But me and Nova, we. Hey, I uh, gave we it a four out of five. I, I thought you said it was a three, but no, we, uh, me and Nova, absolutely love it. Uh, we think Tom King's actually doing a great job uh, with the with the new Batman. So, cool, cool. Yeah, I love, I love, I love me some Batman. The cool thing about Batman is he's just so, like, he just whoever takes a hold of him can really push him into their own thing you know like mm-hmm. he's so he's such a strong archetypal character that you can really manhandle him 
and he can exist. Frank Miller's version can exist with Bob Kane's version can exist with, with, uh, you know, uh, anyone's version. It's, it's really very mad. He's a very resilient, strong character. And, and I think the same thing can be said with, uh, to a lesser extent, but still Spider-Man, like you can have the McFarlane version, the Romita version, the Ditko version there. And they're all still the same guy. It's the, and the stronger the character, the stronger the archetype, the stronger the, the more they can be pushed around. I think. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. But, all right. Anybody else have any more questions? I think pretty good. All right. Just about everything tonight. Yeah. So everything, everything except for, everything except for your actual, I don't know. No, maybe not everything. Toe had one question. You know, I, I've been. To, I don't know if we should throw this out or not. But uh, do you think pork is truly the other white meat, and is beef really what's for dinner? Is what he was he was asking. Well, let me tell you, my my wife is a veterinarian, and Canada has some of the highest standards for pork in the world. And uh, our pork in Canada is is uh, very safe, very delicious, and uh, very good. But you know. Pigs are very intelligent, so it's a weird, it's a weird situation. <laughs> oh, here's oh, just before I go, just a, just a little plug. Uh, so the latest TV show I directed, I directed on a show called Aftermath for Sci-Fi, and I directed episodes seven and eight, and those are airing November eighth and fifteenth. Okay. Uh, starring, starring real world couple Anne Heche and James Tupper, battling the apocalypse with their family, and every week it's like basically a different apocalypse. So uh, it's a pretty fun. It's a pretty fun show. So, uh, and what turn... channel is that available through? Well, Sci-Fi. So okay, wherever sci-fi. you are okay. in the world, it's on Sci-Fi. And in Canada, that'll be on Space. Okay, there we go. Perfect. Cool. Check it out, everyone. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Yes, that's going to wrap up our show. Thank you, Mr. Andrews, for joining us. We really appreciate it coming on. And everybody, check out his work. It's amazing. Renata Jones, gotta love it. You know, all you know, self-published titles are just wonderful. Support them, indie writers. That's right. Issue five just hit the stands. The first trade, the first trades on sale in January, and then we're back for season two. Very yes. cool. Thanks for joining us. Check us out, fourguysinacomic.com, and follow us on social media: Twitter at number four guys in a comic, Facebook keyword four guys in a comic. Also, check out popnerdtv.com and contv.com. Until next time.